0: have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 to 27 this morning. If you're a guest with us, we are working our way through the book of Mark, slowly working our way towards the end, watching Jesus on the move and where he shows us what his kingdom looks like, and what following the king looks like. In this section, jesus it's Easter week, and Jesus is at the temple and facing a series of traps. If you were not here last week, you missed out on the political trap, and this morning a new group will come to Jesus with a theological trap. There's some intriguing stuff here. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. This is the word of the Lord. And Sadducees came to him, Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven... Had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. The Sadducees, they were like the old school fundamentalists of the first century. They were, to give a comparison, the KJV-only crowd in Jerusalem, only suits and ties in the temple. They don't watch certain movies. Their daughters don't wear makeup. And they tell their kids as they grow up things like, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't chew, and we don't date girls that do. Interestingly enough, this KJV-only crowd were the wealthy in town, the aristocratic, influential, Hollywood type in Jerusalem. They were wealthy and prominent to the point that this group of Sanhedrin, the 70 judges, leaders in religious affairs in Jerusalem, they were the primary group the dominant party in Jerusalem politics. They weren't KJV only. They were Moses only. They devoted themselves to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If they can't find it in those five books, don't come at them with it. They don't care if David wrote about it in the Psalms. They don't care if Isaiah wrote about it in the prophets. It is Moses only. That is the only word of God for these Sadducees. That's why they did not believe in the resurrection. The Old Testament hints at this important doctrine along the way in places like Daniel chapter 12, Ezekiel 37, Psalm 16, And many others, but notice, those are all prophets and poetry. So after the Pharisees fell with their political trap, the Sadducees take their stab at Jesus. Take their turn at trying to trap him in his words so that they have a reason to kill this man who claims to be the king. And they drop on Jesus this hypothetical, this imaginary situation that is based off the remarriage laws in Deuteronomy chapter 25. We won't go fully in depth there, but I want you to see Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 to 6. Moses wrote, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger her husband's brother shall go to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out. Lots of background here. But this was God's setup for Israel to protect their promised inheritance in the promised land. That's why God set these laws up. But these Sadducees, KJV only type, come to Jesus and say, if a lady follows this law seven times, who's her husband in heaven? Because that's not exactly what Moses had in mind in Genesis chapter 1 when he called marriage one flesh. So what is it, Jesus? They're trying to Trap Jesus. Here's the trap. Either Jesus admits that the resurrection brings out these chaotic, ridiculous versions of paradise where a woman has seven husbands, or you have to admit there's no resurrection at all. That's how they're trying to set Jesus up. And we're going to get to it in a minute, but this question isn't all that crazy. But once again, Jesus shows us the wisdom of God. What Jesus tells these Sadducees, we need to hear right now. More ridiculous than believing in the power of God is doubting it. Friend, I don't know what you've got going on in your life, but I know in this world with all the chaos going on, that is an important word to hear. And it's easy in the midst of suffering and pain and difficulty and ongoing stress to doubt the power of God in your life. But as Jesus is trying to show these Sadducees and trying to show us, the more ridiculous, that's more ridiculous than believing in the power of God. He has risen Christ from the dead. What can he not do in your life? Now, I want you to look at verse 24. We're going to do a little bit different this morning. We're going to get to some points later on, but let's start off looking at verse 24. Jesus goes straight to the problem. Jesus says to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? he doesn't hold back. Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. As James Edwards writes, this is like claiming Wall Street knows nothing about finance. Now, some of you might think that's true. But it's like saying ESPN doesn't know anything about sports. Or that your English professor knows nothing about grammar. Or that your doctor knows nothing about medicine. And again, some of you may be thinking that may be true. But for the Sadducees, their entire foundation was the law of God. That's who they were, was the book of Moses. They knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy better than anyone. They thought more than the Pharisees or any other group that they had guarded the good deposit entrusted to them. Jesus says, you don't know Jack. What's he really saying as he goes straight to their idol? Listen, Jesus is saying having head knowledge about Scripture is one thing and having a heart change is another. You know, we could really, really see ourselves in the Sadducees in a lot of ways. And like them in this room, we got a big bank account of head knowledge. And we know Bible facts better than most of our neighbors and many other churchgoers. But friend, how many of us have the power of God enough to see some heart change? That's what Jesus is after. John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friend, let me share this fact with you. Church attendance and Bible trivia will not get you into heaven. Knowledge of God's word and good theology will not bring you into paradise. Jesus has said the way to life is him, knowing the Son of God, united with him in his death and his resurrection, raised to a new life. You must be born again. Have you had that power in your life? Is there an old you and a new you that not only you could claim, but your neighbors could see? Have you experienced that kind of resurrection? Friend, God has brought you here today to have that happen right now, if you haven't. Turn from your dead life and sin, and put your trust in His real life, in His resurrection, and He will raise you up with Him and give you a hope, not only today, but forever. But brothers and sisters, once we have that, we are, we are responsible to do something with it. In Colossians 1 verse 10, Paul prays that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing and the knowledge of God. And so that's my goal this morning for everyone who says they are born again and has this resurrection hope that we would bear this kind of fruit and we would grow and we would increase in our knowledge to live for the Lord. And if you have the Spirit inside of you, I pray that's your goal too. So what we're going to do with the rest of this passage is we're going to look at Jesus' really intriguing answer, and I'm going to walk through two levels of theology with you. Two levels in the Word of God, studying His Word that we know, that we need to know. The first level of theology that I want to show you are the secondary matters in Jesus' answer. These are the things that you're probably asking about, curious about, and they are really interesting. Let's look at verse 25 and look at some of these secondary matters. Jesus says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, when I say secondary, I'm not saying unimportant. It's like when Jesus is asked, what's the most important law? And he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, is he saying love your neighbor is unimportant? No. No okay? It's just not first. So these secondary matters, they're important. It's just not first, right? I could title this, two things not to say at a funeral. And every single one of us needs this. But I'm going to say, instead, two biblical truths even the church needs to learn. Because with all our Bible trivia, somehow we've missed this. The first truth, marriage should be for life, but it is not forever. Marriage should be for life, that's the way God intended it, but it is not forever. The question is not all that ridiculous. We know plenty of people who have remarried. I'm sure you have people in your family who have remarried. What happens when someone dies in our family? We look for comfort any place we can find it, right? It's one of the hardest things in the world to stand in line in a funeral and know what to say. I get that. And we say some messed up stuff if you think about it in terms of our theology. It's almost like we throw the resurrection out the door and just try to find something that'll stick and make us feel better in the moment. And when it comes to remarriage and marriage, we tend to say things like this. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever said it? I know that your spouse is in heaven waiting for you. And one day, when it's your time to go, you're going to be with them forever. Now, when you say that, you're assuming a lot. You're, you're assuming that eternal life in heaven is exactly like this one. A woman in the Sadducees' question, Jesus says, does not have seven husbands in heaven. She doesn't have any. Look at verse 25. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As Mark Strauss writes it, marriage is an institution given by God for the present world, for this reality. And marriage is a picture, a shadow of the greater reality. This is the foundation for every conversation in marriage. It's what Paul goes to in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, after he talks about husbands and wives and their roles in marriage, Paul says, This mystery, this eternal truth, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our marriage was given to us as a gospel pointer to the marriage between the Son of God and the people of God. Now think about it. When the resurrection happens, who are we with? Jesus. We're with our Creator, we're with our Messiah, we're with our husband forever. If you look in Revelation, it tells you that in the new kingdom, in the new heaven, the new earth, when when God brings us with our our Savior, there's no Son, right? Right? Why is there no sun? Because Jesus is our light and we have no need for a son. In the same way, Jesus is teaching here, in eternity, there is no shadow called marriage because we have the new, real marriage with the Son of God and there is no need for a shadow. Revelation chapter 21, verses 2 and 4, John says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, How does this sit with you? Notice what John says in Revelation 21. I want to encourage you with this, and you might not find it encouraging. If this makes you sad, in heaven it won't, because there will be no tears. And listen, even the longest marriages today might last 70 years, but what is 70 going to feel like when you've been with Jesus for 70 billion It's not even a drop in the ocean. The joy that we will have with Christ is beyond comparison. You can't even imagine the happiest moment you've ever had in your marriage will feel like depression compared to what you will experience with Christ in heaven. That's the resurrection hope that we have. Friend, listen, if your deepest joy and love are found in your spouse, if your deepest comfort after death is that you'll be with them in eternity, what does that say about how you view God? If heaven for you is a reunion with a human, what does that say about your love for the Almighty? Jesus tells us to make Him our first love, to not have any idols before Him, and that includes our spouse. Make Christ your hope in life and death. Taste him and see the Lord is good. Now, second thing, second truth, even the church needs to learn, or maybe the second thing you shouldn't say at a funeral. People do not become angels when they die. They become like them. This one riles me up. And from now on, because this is public, if if one of you in this room, and I'm going to write your name down, and I'm going to take attendance, if you come at me with this, I am going to talk to you like Jesus talks to these Sadducees. You are quite wrong. Okay? Fair warning. How many times do you hear people say, even in a church, funeral, whatever, old Joe, he's got his wings today, We lost a brother, but God gained him an angel. Oh, no, he didn't. No, sir. No, sir. Friends, let me tell you, let me help you out. That is disrespectful to Joe. You might be grasping for some kind of comfort, but you are disrespecting his name. Don't call him an angel, that's a man let me show you where I'm getting this. Bible backs me up, all right? I'm just trying to help y'all out on one of the hardest days of life, okay? That's pretty practical, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. Check it out. For surely it is not angels that God helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. You want me to translate that? God doesn't save or love a single angel. So when I die, don't call me one. God loves me. And God saved me. And God gives me resurrection, hope. I'm going to have a resurrection, glorified body and live with him in the kingdom forever. And the angels going to watch. Listen, you call somebody an angel, you are demoting them. Give me that salvation story. This is my story. This is my song. Not that I'm going to have some wings, but that I am a child of God. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, no angel can say this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Now I could say a lot more, and that would be fun. But if we all understand these things and don't embrace what Jesus says next, friends, listen, all I've talked about is head knowledge. This won't save anybody. It's why it's secondary matters. And as interesting as it may be, Jesus brings the primary matters next. Look at verses 26 to 27. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. It's a sad reality, but I'm just putting this out there. You're going to find it harder to stick with me here, and you're going to find it less interesting. The sad reality is that we find the secondary stuff more intriguing. And the primary truths of the gospel we find so elementary that they put us to sleep. That's why Paul tells Timothy over and over again in First and 2 Timothy, don't get caught up in the controversies and the dissensions and the discussions about words. Those are interesting. Preach the word. Stick to the gospel. And so you're going to have to fight that fight right now And I want you to understand these truths are the heart of the Christian hope. This is what we believe in. These are the things that you hold on to at a funeral. These are the things you tell yourself and your family. First truth. Scripture testifies that God raises the dead. In a Christian church, we should hallelujah and amen that truth. That is the hope of a Christian, that God raises the dead. Notice where Jesus' proof comes from. He is playing games with these fundamentalists. The Sadducees, again, are Moses-only types. They only got five books in their Bibles. So where does Jesus go? Exodus chapter 3, the book of Moses. God says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The reality, Jesus says, if there's no life after death, if there's no resurrection, then God's promises never came true to Abraham because they only came true later on, thousand plus years. God was a liar to Abraham and God was a liar to Isaac and God lied to Jacob when he made all these kinds of high-sounding promises and they never came through when they died if there is no resurrection. But Jesus says, In John chapter 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Abraham, not so dead, saw it and was glad. The word of God, friends, continues to testify to this glorious truth. And in the midst of a dying world where there's death and despair every turn you look, this is what we hold on to. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4, Paul says, For I deliver to you as of first importance, primary matters, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the day, third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What do you say at a funeral? I know how it must feel, and I know how it feels in my heart, but Scripture says. The Word of God says He raises the dead. That's way better than somebody's got their wings. Second primary matter, God's relationship with His people lasts forever. This is the point. God's relationship That marriage is the one that lasts for eternity. He is the God of the living. Not he was, not he will be. God is the God of of the living. Unlike our earthly marriages, it's even in our weddings, God never says, till death do us part. I'm just going to step back for a minute and go back to where I was. If you don't like that whole marriage isn't forever thing, then why do we say that? Because it's true. But God never says till death do us part. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 to 39. Paul says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's another one. Put this in your memory bank, something to tell your family, your loved ones, yourself at a funeral. Our God is the God of the living. What you have before you in a casket, that is a body. But God is the God of the living, and your loved one is more alive today than he ever was. Paul says to depart is to be with Christ, and that is far better. It's not a sad thing for the believer. Death is a new birth, a new entryway into eternal life with God. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Because God's relationship, is forever. Now, please hear me. God doesn't want you to wait until heaven to know this. God doesn't want you to wait until you meet him in heaven to experience the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, children of God, the word tells us that his resurrection power is available to you and me today not just after we die, but right now. The resurrection power that rose Jesus from the grave is available right this minute. And if we miss this, we are greatly mistaken. We wander around this world feeling like our sins and our burdens just have the hold over us and can defeat us, that we can't break it. We can't break the addiction. We can't break the habit. It just continues to bring us down. But God rose from the dead to give us a power over sin and the ability to bear fruit and live with resurrection power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20, Paul prays, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul said that power wasn't just an Easter story. It is accessible to anyone who has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. Stop living like a dead man and live like a resurrected Christian. Romans 6 verse 11, Paul says, You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You came to church because you need something from the Lord, I'm assuming. Where do you need the power of God? Where do you need the resurrection might of Jesus Christ to show up in your life tomorrow? Tomorrow. Listen, according to the authority of the word of God, you have it. It isn't even something you need to pray for. What you need is to know that you have it and to walk in it. Do not doubt the power of God and come up with some silly hypothetical like these Sadducees and and talk yourself into the, the idea that God cannot be powerful enough to meet the need in your life. That's ridiculous. Believe in the resurrected King. Believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God wants to do in your life. The empty tomb proves that Jesus is faithful. It proves that his love endures forever. What would it look like if you walked out of here resurrected? What would this church look like if we stopped living as if the power of the world and and the history and the the conflicts and all of the drama was dominant over us. And we live like we were raised up to walk in newness of life. Not looking back, but looking forward in the power of his Holy Spirit. What would it look like if we lived in the world like that today? Do we believe in the resurrected King? Or do we just believe in some stories and Bible trivia? Walk in that power. Friends, that is the good news in which we lay our lives for the king. First Peter 1, verse three. "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May that be your hope. Friends, may that be your song. And on a day when you lose a loved one, may that be the word that gives you comfort. May that be on your lips. As you share, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Let us pray.